1: to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast this week is Lucas Pedretti, co-founder and CEO of KeyMatics.
0: The vision is that Business-to-business sales is still done by people, by humans, is still done very ineffectively and it can, it can be 10 to 20 times much more effective if, if they use new technologies. I can identify on the problem 20 years ago, 10 years ago, and the problem is still there. And now the technology has advanced, has moved. My vision is to bring this technology to the people that are still yeah, struggling in sales. Most of the critical, in our case, sales-to-sales negotiations are value-driven and you still need yeah. people to communicate with each other, to understand the need and the problem of each other. They are very, very ineffective. Yeah, they, are, so. they are mainly intuition-driven or they, they run one urgency after the next one, but they, they cannot really focus on what, what brings most for my, for my company. And as you say, it's a one-to-one plus three, so it's humans working with technology. The technology alone is only half of the solution.
1: This is Lucas. He's a self-proclaimed innovator with an MBA and 20 years of experience in international management, business administration, and marketing of technological products. He has worked for companies like Festo, Belden, and Omron Electronics. And besides being passionate about sales, He's an avid traveler and a social media aficionado. He strongly believes that in the near future, artificial intelligence will be the decisive factor for medium-sized companies to remain competitive. And that put him on a mission to make a dent in the world, and specifically the world of B2B sales, by augmenting sales leaders around the world to sell more, faster. And that triggered me, hence I invited Lucas to my podcast. We explore the sizable problem that many B2B sales leaders are struggling with and how this can be solved with technology in ways that provide exponential results. We discuss the role of AI to augment people and not to automate them out of a job. And last but not least, we discuss Luca's take on what traits are essential to create a remarkable software business. By listening to this podcast interview, you will learn three things. Firstly, that we should not underestimate how long it takes to create a business out of a good idea that you need grit grit to stay there for a long time to build something of value secondly that it is critical to develop courage to quickly pull through on the things that are right for the business even if this means saying goodbye to ideas people or key investments that at one point in time seem the right thing and thirdly why you shouldn't fall in love with the product or the vision fall in love with the problem, a problem that you're passionate about solving. Well, Lucas, thank you very much for joining my podcast today and making time available on your busy schedule. Thank you. That's short and punchy. Yeah, I mean, I approached you recently through LinkedIn because I found your company. I looked at your about, looked at your vision, and something triggered me there. And hence, I Mm -hmm. invited you here. So before we start talking about that, a little bit about you, if you would explain yourself in about three words, what would those words be?
0: Three words. Wow. Very short. So two, three words. So human will be the first one. Then I would say citizen. And then I would say that, maybe. Yeah. I think that would be the three words.
1: All right. That's an interesting one. I haven't heard those before. <laughs> but just to pick on human. Yeah. Is that, is, has that to do, has got to do with your leadership style?
0: Yes. In a sense, yes. It has to do with my, my, with my leadership styles. It maybe also has to do with my, with my business. So I'm in the business of artificial yeah. intelligence. And I wish not to forget what we are. And I think we help save people that are also humans. To become more exactly. effective with data and, and with analytics and with artificial intelligence. But in the end, this, this, there's still people sitting in the car. So I, I love, you know, the electro self-driving car, but they're still moving people. And I think that's, that's exactly. what I try to reflect with human. Yeah,
1: well, I think that is that fits really well with the purpose of my podcast. I mean, I started my podcast and I wanted to do something around disruptive technology. Yeah but primarily not about the technology that is automating people out of a job. Yeah. I actually want to kind of focus on how we can use technology to make people deliver yeah, an impact that have never been possible before. Yeah. That's what I see in your company, chematics. Talking about the, the citizen aspect then, is that, has that got to do with the fact that you've been working around the world in various...
0: Yes, I was trying to find a word that reflects my... my you know, I was born and raised in Buenos Aires, Argentina, from an Italian family, also with French roots, which is quite common in Argentina. Argentina is maybe like the U.S., like Australia is a country of immigrants. But I no longer live there, and I have lived in several countries. So, what am I? I believe I'm a citizen of the world, if you might say. But you only have one yeah. world, the one world. So I, I choose citizen. I think most of the people still relate to this belonging to a city, belonging to a community, and I don't know the best word I could in couple of seconds found was citizen.
1: Very well. Very good. Well I mean it also I think has to do with the business that we are driving these days. I mean in the past when I started with, with enterprise software, it was a company that did its thing in the Netherlands. And from what I can see now that most companies today when they start a business, because yeah. there is the internet, yeah. You know, we we make things available globally. Yeah. Is that the same for, for your company?
0: I think so, yes. I think you really touch on, on a good point on you know nowadays you can really do business everywhere really everywhere and and you can get also vendors partners customers people from everywhere really true but you still should not forget that you you go to your bakery to buy your croissants and you are still based here right it's like it's like i think our generation is, is still the one that can see that difference that you should not you know leave you shouldn't forget your roots and where you are on your daily life. Although, as I say, and as you say, you have the, now the opportunity to connect with almost everyone everywhere, as long as they have a fast internet connection. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, I got intrigued with what, what your company is about, but maybe you should explain it yourself. So if I ask you the question, what is the big idea behind your company, the vision? How would you explain that?
0: Well, the, the big idea, the vision is that business to business sales is still done by people by humans is still done very ineffectively and it can it can be 10 to 20 times much more effective if if they use new technologies and that's our vision we want to make business to business sales 10 20 times more effective we want to make them happier we want to as you say help humans help people to make their job better not not to replace them with automation i think there's a, there's a common misunderstanding of believing automation will replace people no mm-hmm. it will certainly replace some skills those people have and why because it can it can do the same better cheaper and faster and that that's our our vision i have a very strong international vision a global vision i think salespeople people they are everywhere we are at the moment based in Germany and working mainly with German or European corporations. I can identify on the problem 20 years ago, 10 years ago, and the problem is still there. And now the technology has advanced, has moved. My vision is to bring this technology to the people that are still yeah, struggling in sales, so to say.
1: Well, I mean, I like your exponential numbers there, 10 times, 20 times more. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what gets people's interest So is there a leverage between technology plus people equals more?
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Technology plus people is a one plus one equals three. And the reason behind is because most of the critical, in our case, sales to sales negotiations are value driven and you still need people to communicate with each other, to understand the need and the problem of each other. But, but in order to do that, they are very well-trained people, they are very skilled people, and, and they need to invest a lot of time on creating value together with the customer. Yeah. If you don't augment that, if you make them still, you know, they still need to write everything in paper and they cannot prioritize accounts and prioritize customers, they are extreme, they are very, very ineffective. Yeah, they, sure. are, they are mainly intuition-driven or they, they run one urgency after the next one but they, they cannot really focus on what what brings most for my for my company. And as you say, it's a one to one plus three. So it's humans working with technology. The technology alone is only half of the solution.
1: Yeah. So yeah. what does your solution actually do then? I mean, how does it sort of take away all the all the, the bad things that salespeople have to focus on in order to make them focus on the right things?
0: Yeah. So we basically take ERP sales data, so enterprise sales data. We can combine that with CRM data, customer relationship management data. We use machine learning and artificial intelligence methods to solve three problems. To find customers that can, can buy more, so cross-selling, upselling; To find customers that might churn, so churn risk analysis or attrition analysis and to find customers where the company could target a higher price, so pricing analytics. Those three things combined make the salespeople 10 times more efficient. Yep. And how does it actually look like? So we take the sales data, we put it through our tool, and then we operationalize this recommendation. So it's not a one-off in, in which you can see, okay, th- there is potential here. We help the sales people in their daily job to become more efficient. So to give you a very simple example, yeah. so you open the Qmatix tool or a CRN where our outputs are being provided. The key account manager will see in this account, you have cross-selling potential for this and this product lines. Or okay. watch out, this customer might churn, so the, the probability is uh, X percent. And these are the, the reasons why he might churn or the features or the attributes correlating with, with this risk. Interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, that is deep value. I mean, I've, I've had a couple of companies on the podcast already that are kind of more or less related to the sales operation. A number of them have focused on providing you with leads yeah. or providing you with customers that are ready to buy. Now, this is a completely different angle here. And what you typically see is an kind of account manager has a certain region, has, a, has, for example, 500 customers or 200 customers in a particular yeah. region, depending the product size. And they can only manage and keep contact with just a handful of that. And the rest is just at their mercy.
0: Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. Most of our customers have an average amount of accounts per key account manager around that uh, region 100 to 500. And I believe that it's impossible to really take care of more than 20 to 30 key accounts. If you have True. 500 key accounts, then no, no one is a key account, right? Every, everyone is just an account. True. And how do you, you can't do that on your own, so to say. And the example I, I, use, I always use is an autopilot. Have you flown uh-huh. recently? You probably fly between the Netherlands and Spain or Spain. and. I have and your flown holiday.
1: way too much in my life.
0: Where? Who was <laughs> to everywhere the around plane? the world. Who was flying the plane 95% of the time? Autopilot. An autopilot. It was a software, right? The pilot is there to take care of the autopilot and to solve critical situations like starting or landing the plane. And by the way, many autopilots can already land a plane. True. It is the same with our tool. So your, your salespeople are still the pilots. They take the calls. They are the ones showing the face to the customer and explaining the value and developing value together, but they need an autopilot. It's impossible to fly over the Atlantic 14 hours, right? You need software, you need automation, and that's what we do.
1: That's true, yeah. It's a good analogy. Thank you. And one that people also are not afraid of.
0: Hey, we put our lives in the hands of the software, you know, as you say, many, many times. It can also go wrong, yeah? so From time to time, you hear really... Yeah, sad stories about autopilots getting things wrong. Automation can also fail. However, there is no other way. There is no other way we can fly so much and connect the world physically if you Mm -hmm. don't have augmented systems and autopilots and algorithms helping us.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So what is always interesting to me, I mean, so when did you start this company, by the way?
0: So I founded the company at the end of 2013. And the idea okay. I had originally was more in the direction of sales reporting. That was kind of my, my first Yeah, I mean, that's, that
1: was my question. Like, what sparked it? What what did you see or when did it click where you say, aha, this is what I need to do?
0: I think there was a couple of, of pieces that came together. The first one is that I was very frustrated. I had, I had enormous frustration. I had tried to create analysis and reporting using my ERP, and it was impossible. You always had to download some data, and then try on your own with the spreadsheets, and it's extremely limited. Yes. One of my best friends, which is also one of my co-founders, is a physician. He it's a, it's a studied physics, working for the Max Plan Institute, and he told me, you know, you're doing nonsense. There are already algorithms that can find what you're looking for, correlations, which customer can buy more, yeah, what are the products that have more potential, and yeah, there are already algorithms. Okay, so we tested some of these algorithms, and then I thought, how can I make this available to everyone or to every salespeople? And that's how the idea got sparked. I right. underestimated how difficult it is and how long it takes to create a business out of a good idea. I think the idea is, again, only half of the <laughs> of the job. You need to make a business out of the idea. I think the idea is great. The business is is starting. Um
1: yeah. yeah, I mean, that's a common one as well. <laughs> I'm currently writing a book, by the way, that's called The Remarkable Effect. And it's about the ten, the 10 traits of a remarkable software company. So we come back on that later on. So, I mean, that whole evolution from when you started end of 2013 back to yeah. where we are t- today, end of to- 2019, that's six years ahead. Yeah. What do you believe were the, sort of the biggest milestones or the decisive moments where you did the right thing and actually you got traction?
0: Oh, very interesting. So let, let me think about QMATIC for a moment, about our story. So we were selected as one of the most innovative startups in Europe twice by the European Commission, hey. but we didn't have a business yet when that happened. So I think that's the moment where I started to realize the idea is resonating and I need to yeah. make a business out of this. Yeah, And we, we were finalists in the Heidelberg Innovation Forum in Heidelberg, uh, Smart Data, which is a, is a quite well-known innovation forum in Germany. And that that was the second point when I think people are are starting getting it. But I still didn't Uh have a a finalized product, neither really ongoing customers. Uh I think probably the next milestone will be seeing the product. So we we launched the product almost two years ago. That's the moment when you see, wow, this could really take off. (laughs) You know, there is a way of solving this problem. Of course, it's still you know no software product is never complete there are many sure. things we still would like to do and we are working on them that was a realization i thought wow this could really happen and then i met a partner i think probably around 2014 or 15 this partner is a sales consultant and he saw a very trivial version of our tool and he got the vision right very quickly and that that also helped me to accelerate my my business development because we are acquiring customers together Uh and it also was a validation and maybe nowadays how can I say I get used to that kind of feedback oh this is great we need this and if this work in our company then we can achieve this kind of but you know at the beginning it's really hard to to keep your faith on your idea when you don't have this this daily feedback it's when true. it's only when it's only a vision only an idea
1: i actually wrote a blog about that ex- this this morning so yeah really <laughs> yeah 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 it's i mean i spoke to another german ceo on tuesday yeah jonathan mall he's the ceo of a company called Neuroflash, and he actually made a very interesting remark saying it requires courage not to do things and it has exactly to do with your point that you have a vision. But until the vision has been realized, there yeah. are so many things that could derail it. And it takes the courage in order to say no to things, in order to keep uh, focus on, on that big belief.
0: I think we can, we can pick out on that one. I think that was also a mistake in the beginning. When you think your idea is taking off and you're you are chasing every sub-idea, right? And, and yeah. a lot of networking, getting to know very interesting people, but still not focusing on making from your vision a business. And I think maybe two years ago, I I came to the same realization that it was for me better to start saying no, because I already had this product and I already knew my segment, my market, some of my customers, the kind of data, what we can do. And I have a daily task that is called focus. And I focus in four or five things. And I I remind myself every week that everything else might be very cool, but it's not what I have in focus. It really takes courage because you, you, miss, you think you're missing out on, on things and you might yes. be. I mean, you still need to do some networking, see what is going around you with your competitors, with your customers. You should just not forget what is, what is your goal and your mission.
1: Yeah, exactly. So talking about all those decisions and, and the saying no, what, what do you believe has been your toughest decision that actually mm-hmm. turned out really, really
0: well? Firing one of my first co-founders I think that was really tough. Yeah. Yeah, I still like the guy, but we were going nowhere. We had a very different vision of how the product should look like, whether it should be more services and which segment we should target. And I met him in one of these networking events and there was a lot, there was a a click in the beginning. Once we started working and and it probably took me two years to realize he was not the right guy. And I usually yeah. didn't have much of trouble telling people, look, I don't think we're going anywhere. But it's very hard when you have to do it with someone that really put a lot of effort into getting the sure. things off. You still have to do it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here, certainly.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that definitely makes sense. And it's about people at the end, you know. It's, But it's the right thing to do at some point, And then you have to make that that call. And that's your responsibility. Because otherwise, the whole company is going nowhere.
0: I think it was the right thing to do at that point. And in that context... Yeah. yeah, I've seen that a lot. By the way, I'm active also in the startup. scene here in my city. And I see a lot of startups really not getting anywhere because they don't have the courage to say, yeah, we, we don't belong together, you know?
1: Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it comes down to a great number of things. It's, not a, it's in every aspect of your business. So talking about, I mean, you released it two years ago, you said, end of 2017, yeah. I expect. What have been your, your biggest challenge in selling this or to create growth from this?
0: Well, resources is a big challenge. I believe I'm not the only startup in Germany that is really fighting to get resources. And mm-hmm. Germany, I also underestimated. So I work in, in international market and business, and you tend to believe the world is the U.S. Right? Everything is like like in San Francisco, and and if they say a startup, then you get a million tomorrow, and it's not really like that, especially not in Germany. You have a lot of trust to build with your customers investors and business angels is a very it's an incipient market so it's just getting started i would say corporates in germany they are of course they are, it's a very innovative country but they're not very very they're not ready to disruption they i don't think every company has the courage as you say to yeah. stop doing things and start doing new things
1: let me make a small interruption here lucas just highlighted something that is essential to stay resourceful as a software business Courage to stop doing things, and to start doing new things. This is something I pay a lot of attention to in my book, The Remarkable Effect. It's a trait that remarkable software businesses manage to perfection. They score 5 out of 5. So for those of you that want to know how your software business scores on each of the 10 traits of a remarkable software business, simply do the test. You can find it on valueinspiration.com slash remarkableindex. Back to the interview.
0: And yeah. I think that's, that's still our, our biggest challenge. We could yeah. grow much faster if we had more resources. And I've seen American companies that you think, eh, how, can they be, how can they be 200 people now? Well, because yeah. they got somewhere along the line. They got the cash of the future. They got it today. And that's how <laughs> they took off.
1: Sometimes I work a lot, a lot easier. The other thing I also discussed with another CEO that was on my podcast, he said, the moment you, ha- you are rich, because you have that cash yeah. for the future, you also start to waste a lot. Because
0: yeah, yeah, you yeah, you suddenly yes.
1: start start to spend on everything. The moment you get you're not so rich, you're more bootstrapped. You make much more. You make better decisions. Yeah. And yeah. So it's it's sort of a balance I think you need to have here.
0: Definitely, I I can also relate with example in the beginning. I had a lot of some cash, not 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 in the millions, but I had some cash, and I think I blew it. I really did not make the right decisions fast enough. Because I think in the end, you tend to do the right decision. But if it takes you too long, then you're done. You need to take the right decision now, so in one, two weeks, and the critical decisions.
1: So, yeah, I mean, there's a whole range of things that, uh, that I could talk about for hours, by the way. But
0: And we still haven't talked about wine or traveling around the world.
1: No, that's for another podcast, I think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no,
1: no. I mean, like I said, I'm writing my book, and it's yeah. about the ten, the 10 traits of a remarkable software yes. company. I'm always intrigued about, like, what is your opinion? What is the secret of creating yeah. something remarkable and Ooh, lasting impact?
0: So I think you need grit. So you need to stay on the things for very, very long. We tend to underestimate so we we are now, we are a very short time memory animal. And I think our memory is getting shorter and shorter. We tend to forget that Rome wasn't built in a day. You still need a lot of grit. You, t- you need to persevere on your idea and stay there for a very long time yeah. if you want to build something of value. And I yeah, think that, that's a remarkable trait, being able to stay there for a long time, even when nobody else believes about it. Because what, five years and you're still here? If it is your thing and you, you believe in it and you are getting good feedback from the people you think that cares about the problem, then you should stay there. I think that's probably the main or the first yeah. trait I would say. However, it might also contradict the idea that you need to learn and pivot and change direction when it's needed. If you have True. worked it and it didn't work, then, then discard it and, and start again. And sometimes it takes also the courage to throw everything away and start from scratch again. Yeah. You think, oh, but I, I built this, I did this. But if it's not doing the job, or you, you're, not, you're going nowhere. And this is a problem too, because a lot of founders tend to fall in love with their product or with the vision or with the company or with the team. And they don't realize that it, it's not longer helping them. No, that's true. Yeah.
1: I mean, I've seen that with... I mean, I, I used to work for a company that is, in the meantime, I think almost 40 years old. But I mean, there's this idea or the belief that what you have, what you've invested in for so long... Yeah. that you need to evolve that. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you, you have to make that call and say, wait a minute, we are now in a dead end. We're heading towards a dead end alley. And better to stop and, and make a, yeah. a, a dramatic change rather than to continue here. So, I mean, yeah. there been? I can't imagine that it, that point of failure happened already in your short life of your company. But were there yeah. any decisions where you said, no, wait a minute, we have to go and pivot here?
0: Main changes I cannot really relate to main to huge pivot changes that I would say we will change everything. I think we're still very much on the business to business market, helping yep. medium-sized to big companies. We are still talking about sales. Probably the biggest pivot we did is was topping looking at data as an historic of historical value uh-huh. and maybe start thinking of data about a predictive value so what you could do what you could predict from of regarding the future using that data yeah. i think that was probably the one of the main realizations and now we are we are really focusing a lot into trying to bring this idea to the mind of people deciding about this and the data is okay i mean it has a lot of historical value but it has a yeah. lot more value 10 20 times if you use it to become more effective in the future um, yeah
1: that's true so you're already saying that you have a predictive engine that yeah. allows sales to see like what can be with their customers yes. and, and where that opportunity lies.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you take it even further then to say, okay, well, this is what we have identified. These yeah. are the reasons, for example, why customers might churn. Yeah. Do you also give advice then in terms of what sales strategies could be applied here in order to have the biggest impact? Yes, yes we
0: well, do that. And we do that, I think, very successfully because we create those strategies together with the customer. So we call them micro strategies. And what we basically do is we, as a part of an advisory service, we look into the tools that they already have, into the sales processes they already have. And together we develop a set tool of micro strategies to implement the advice of the software. And we also bring this back into the software so that the people will see. So the example I give everywhere is the following. You cannot call a customer and say, oh, my software, my algorithm says you are going to churn. Please don't, stay with us. (laughs) It doesn't work, right? So you need a strategy. So you need to tell them the risk is based on correlations with, I don't know, the seasonality, the amount of products and the service. And these are the instruments you can use to try to retain this customer. Talk about this, open this ticket and follow this process. And that's the autopilot principle. So the pilot still has a manual. He, th- he knows what to do when the red light is there, the, the green light is there. And and that's, that's the same principle. That's what, relating back to the beginning of the podcast, is what yeah. it means working together, human and machine. That's the one yeah. plus one, three.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah and then you have different stages in that. It's First of all, a kind of the understanding and the insight, but then from there... The recommendation and even prescriptive advice in terms of one or two possible strategies you could try out that's that's really really good that's what augmentation should be all about and that's where you get that leverage yeah. so from the two years you've now been in business and you got your first customers what have you been most proud of seeing or what is the anecdotes where you say you know it works
0: i can relate to one it was approaching in austria we are still happily working with the customer. The general manager is, was the initiator of the collaboration. And then yeah. he got the tool to his sales team. And it was a small sales team, I think no bigger than 10 people. And most of them had been in this industry, which I think it was construction industry, for a very long time, like 20 years. And the first reaction we got is, oh, no, Padretti, I know my customers. I've been doing this for 30 years. I traveled to every construction site, every construction company and distributors. And I know what they need. I would never disagree with that. I know as a sales guy, that is your job and you are proud of of knowing your customers. However, you should not miss the point that you cannot analyze as much sales data as an artificial intelligence system can. Uh And I was very happy when months later, the same guy showed me how he was working with the tool and he was really making usage of the tool saying okay yeah I, I took a look here and the tool suggested that and that so I was not sure I went and check around and I finally closed a new sales based on, on what the software told me. He was still not really sure right about the algorithm but he was just he was just starting to fly to an autopilot and I was I would think I was proud about that I'm, I'm still yeah. happy about that.
1: Yeah exactly I mean I've, I've been thinking about it a couple of times during this call but you said you get your data from CRM and from, for example, ERP, but it's all information about the past. Yeah. What other sources do you follow and how can you actually yeah, start to identify like, what is going on in, in the mind of the customer?
0: Yeah. So, by the way, do you have any other information about the future I don't know about? No. So all the information you have is in the past. Everything True. is in the past. If you know something about the future, it's no longer a prediction. It's True. either because you're drunk or it's a prediction itself. But the way you define prediction is because the result lays in the future. And Mm -hmm. this is a key misunderstanding. Many people think, oh, but why don't you integrate data about the GDP of Russia in 2021? Yeah, you can do that, but it's still a prediction, right? And it has has still a margin of error. It has still data sources. There's still a model behind it. And I think it's very bad for sales because you are doing a second-hand prediction, you are doing a prediction of a prediction with your data, and I think yeah. that's very bad. Uh-huh. We use the same principles, but using data that is closer to you, your yeah. sales data, right? And that's the reason why I believe our idea is much more effective than using data of a prediction of a prediction. However, yeah, yeah. why are still a lot of salespeople use that GDP? Because you are safe. I've done it my, myself, right? You say, well, the IMF so is saying there will be a recession in the US, 5% yeah. less, or we will sell only 5% and okay, well, collapse to everyone. As a prediction, it can be very, very bad, very inaccurate. Yeah. And it can still be quite expensive because you need to get the data, you put it into some sort of spreadsheet, you make some pivots, some modeling, yeah. you do manual, and, and there's no way you can check if that was right or wrong. And yeah. all these predictions are usually quite wrong, let's say fifty percent of the time. And it yeah, could are, even be just prediction.
1: Yeah, it could even be that because of a particular recession coming, that you're actually going to thrive yourself because you have the antidote for that. So it's exactly yeah.
0: In yeah. I read in a book or an article recently, I think it was the International Monetary Fund found that he has a very well paid doctors and doctors in predictions and analysis, and they still they cannot get right fifty percent of their predictions so 60% <laughs> yeah. of the times they are outside of range of error and yeah. the reason is not because they are bad it's because it's very hard to predict something as complex as the economy yeah that's true maybe another another reasons as bias or they are very optimistic whatever the same about the weather right you you still use your weather app in your phone but it's still a prediction and it's very hard to predict the weather however true. we are getting better and better we have more technology we have yeah. more data and if you predict the weather for the next couple of hours, it's usually quite good. And it's the same principle for any other kind of prediction. If you want to predict your own sales, so use your own data. Yeah.
1: yeah. No, I mean, the reason why I was asking it, for example, one of the companies I interviewed was first headed up by Mike Schneider. And they are creating a tool that helps real estate agents sell yeah. more. But they get a lot of their data from outside of those systems. So the real estate agent has a CRM and maybe yeah. also has sales tools and all kind of stuff, but they get a lot of their data from what, is, what the customers are doing themselves. Yeah. You know, they get a, a raise, they get yeah. a third child, so they, need, they yeah. need to buy another house. That type of insight, of course, is also ideal for AI.
0: That didn't contradict my example. The point is True. It's, yeah, you, it's you happening. should it happens. use data that is close yeah. to your goal. If your goal is predicting whether a family will buy a house, then you need information about that family. For example, how many kids they have, how much they earn, where do they live now, and things like that. And we do the same for sales. So if you're trying to predict based on your current customer base, what they can buy, who might churn, which prices they can pay, then start at least start using that data. I'm not saying you might not need another external source of data, for example, in retail, that you can say, okay, let's use weather data or economic activity of small regions or very granular data, and you can still do that. But the first point is, use the data that you already have and that is closer to to your prediction goal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one of my other podcast guests was talking always about, I mean, all these systems are actually that holds the water, but no one does anything with the water. And yeah. here in this case, <laughs> you start to use that water as fuel for something better. That's fascinating. So let me see. From the lessons that you've learned in sales, being an entrepreneur, starting your own company, and being where you are today with chemetics, yeah. what would be an advice you would give other yeah, entrepreneurs or to-be entrepreneurs to do different or, or better?
0: What I'm hearing a lot, and I, I couldn't agree more, is you, you should have some passion about the problem. Because it will take you a very long time to take the business off. So yeah. if you don't believe in what you're doing, then do something else. You know, you will, you will spend your time and the time of a lot of people and probably a lot of money in doing something you don't believe in. So you definitely should find something you would like to solve and you are passionate about solving. And that was for me sales, right? And for other people it could be other things. Yeah. And the second advice I think you is make that, a
1: right, right, right point here. And I'm glad you, you, you said you articulated it correctly. It's not about passion for the product. It's passion for the problem.
0: Yeah. That's the essence. Thank you for picking that up. You know, I haven't haven't thought about that. But you're right. Yeah, it's not about the product. It's not about your idea or about your business. It's about, you know, there is a problem and there is a lot of people that have that problem. Exactly. And you can create a solution that will help them. It will be of value. And so go in that direction. And if you don't feel that in the beginning, then maybe do something else. (laughs) Because it be, it's hard really to get, to get a company and a product started. And the good news is that it might be getting easier and easier because of software, of infrastructure, of the internet and all the ways of communication. It still needs a committed, passionate entrepreneur.
1: Yeah, exactly correct. And the moment you start, you understand what business you are really in. I mean, I've written about it many times. You know, you're not in the business of creating a sales automation tool or an AI yeah. for sales. You're in the business of solving that problem that sales yeah. are not able to sell 20 times more. <laughs> That's what you're in business about. And, and at the moment, of course, it could be that the solution that you're currently creating is the most obvious way of solving that. Yeah. But next year or two years, two years down the road, it could be something completely different. And that allows you to pivot, Yeah. to move on with that. Very interesting. So what is next for you? What is your, your greatest aspiration for the next 12 to 24 months?
0: So my greatest aspiration, and I probably go back to that, that short list of focus ideas. I want to make my current customers extremely happy. So I try to under-promise, and now is the time to over-deliver. And to some, of, to some extent, we have already over-delivered, and they gave us a very good feedback. I want to make sure they are extremely happy. There are always more, and that also requires stretching my attention and my time. So that's that's probably my biggest challenge for the next couple of months. Getting the solution to more salespeople. I found it sad that there are still salespeople struggling out there that could be happier with our solution. But it takes time. You know, change requires that you know that there is a problem, and you know yeah. that there is a solution. And that I think is the second biggest challenge, really reaching more people more safe people i hope your postcard also helped me to tell them look there is another way you know you don't need to yeah, struggle <laughs> there is yeah, a yeah. solution already for that that's true. For that problem
1: that's why i'm doing this first of all a lot of it is about education about what can be because a lot of people don't even have a clue that this is possible in the first place
0: yes or they have this kind of misunderstanding yeah but how can you do that we don't have the data or uh-huh. yeah how can you do that we have to you know gather all possible data like Amazon. You can mm-hmm. compete with Amazon's, with Facebook, with Google, but there is still things you can do to beat your competitors and make your True. customers happier. Use yep. the data that you have. Use the methods that are already well known. Use products that are already tested on the market. And as you say, enable your people to become better, right? A lot of, a lot of mm-hmm. companies, they think, oh, but you know, that means I have to fire or what well, my people do. Make them happier, you know, give them tools that will make them happy. Explain them how they they work, you know, involve them in the change. Everybody wants to be better and happier, I think, as most of people Uh, I know.
1: It's the right word. It's not about more, it's about better. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, if there's anyone in the audience that could help you, what would you ask? What's the big ask that you need help on?
0: Good question. At the moment, I think our biggest resources, as I say, if there is an investor or corporate in the room that that has a sales team and wants to make the sales team more efficient, so write me a message and we will try to see how to help you. That will help us too. I'm always trying to make out of this first discussion, to make a success story, to tell the world, look, this is how this company or this company or this company is solving the problem. And I think that's the first kind of help I could use. Yeah. Okay. Time for asking. Well,
1: <laughs> no problem at all. It's always a question that makes people think, and that's I think what it's all about. So, where can people go to find out more about Qumatics, or to say hi to you?
0: So, basically, in our website, it's our main point of contact, Qumatics.com, and I will I will spell it because it's hard to get. It's Q Y M A T E X Qumatics.com. If you Google Qumatics sales analytics or Qumatics predictive analytics, you will find us in Google. And there you have a lot of information about us. We write also a lot. We create some videos, sometimes podcasts also about sales and business-to-business sales. And there you can drop us a line and we'll be very happy to contact you.
1: Very good. And how can they find you in the best way?
0: Also per email. So writing to lucas.pedretti, I have to spell pedretti, P-E-D-R-E-T-T-I, at qmatics.com. And you can also find me in social medias. I'm very active in LinkedIn, in Xing, which is a German social media. Also yeah, in yeah. Twitter, Lucas with C Pedretti.
1: Very good. Well, thank you very much, Lucas, for making the time today. Um, thank you, Ton. It's always good to get those type of examples about what augmentation can do, whatever the domain is. And this time it was sales. Yeah, I learned a great number of things from you and uh, I mean, it also kind of make me more aware of a number of things that are very important to keep, to keep the focus on. So thank you for that.
0: Thanks, Tom. Thanks for the questions. I also learned a few things in this interview and I will be very happy to, to hear it live.
1: Thank you, Lucas. I like that. And I hope my audience enjoyed it as much as we did together. Talking about that, for those that are listening, please share your thoughts about this episode. I really uh, look forward to your feedback. And if you like it, If you feel inspired by this podcast, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. And other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Lucas Pedretti, co-founder and CEO of Chemetics. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly... Share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book, or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode.